This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Jack Stan and Faithful. Jack was a rag and bone man. And he was in New York City around the uh, early 19th century when the transition was happening between uh, industrialization and old ways of life. You see, what was happening, it was a time in New York where the automobile was beginning to gain popularity because of a man called Henry Ford, and the Model T was beginning to gain mass popularity in New York City. But as well as that, there was transition. And how many of us know that life is full of transitions all the time as things change? Nothing stands still, does it? And so what was happening in this time of transition was horses were dying off slowly or moving on as people, you know, preferred cars that didn't do so much of a mess, if you know what I mean. And so what was happening was this great transition. And, and obviously Jack was one, uh, Stan and Jack were one of the last ones that were doing it. So there they were, rag and bone, in the middle of New York City. Old Faithful was the donkey that was up front that would take them in the cart everywhere they went. Stan was the man himself. And Jack was the faithful collie that would be at his side, his border collie. Any of you got doggy friends? I've got doggy enemies at home, but we won't go into that right now. But he had a doggy friend. And so as he's coming along, this was in the days before traffic lights. And as he's coming along to this junction, there's a car that swerves to avoid and smashes straight into all three of them. The cart spins into the air in bits and pieces all over the floor. Wheel has gone over here and everything. And they all get thrown across, across the whole square in the middle of this street. A police officer is called to the scene. Whistles are going away while they call the police. And as they come to the scene, he walks up to the donkey, looks at him. He's in a bad way, bust leg, shoots him in the head. Bang! He walks up to the dog. He's in a bad way as the collie, whimpering there, see that there's nothing he can do for the dog, shoots him in the head. Bang! And the policeman walks up to Stan, and he says to him, Stan, are you okay? He says, yes, thank you. I am perfectly fine. I am all right. And the reason I'm giving you this story is to understand the principle of context. Every concept requires context. Every concept, every belief that we hold requires context. The reason I'm saying this to you is that four months later, Stan finds himself in court trying to sue the person that had come sideways into the car. He's trying to sue him for a bust shoulder and a broken leg. And the solicitor and the lawyer is standing in front there that says, is it true that on a day in question when the police officer came came up to you and said, are you fine? Are you okay? That you said, yes, I'm perfectly okay. He says, yes. He says, so how can you claim for the broken shoulder and the bust leg? And Stan gave context, because I'm not sure about you. If the police officer was on the scene where you were, and he walked up to the donkey with a broken leg and shot him, And he walked up to the dog with a broken leg and he shot him. What would you say if the police officer came up to you and said, Are you okay? 
I'm sure we would give him the context that standard to say, yes, I'm fine, thanks. I'm perfectly okay. Every concept requires context. And I'm preaching and speaking the ultimate message in our series, Thrive, at the moment. And we were looking at this concept of spiritual growth. What are the components that we see in a godly life that is flourishing? And this is a village that's in Peru that is in the middle of the desert. And yet it flourishes because it has the ingredients for growth. It flourishes in the middle of a place where there is no life at all because of certain things that are present. The concept. And so we've looked in our series together where we talked about the principle of truth to start with. We talked about being planted and being rooted and how when we are watered as believers that we flourish. And then we talked about, didn't we, last time we were together about how God prunes us sometimes so we can be more fruitful. And what I want to talk today about in our journey together in Thrive is I want to talk about the principle of harvest. How many of you want a harvest? Do you want a harvest in your life? But you see, as our world has developed and become increasingly more modern, that we have what we call now ding food. I didn't know what the thing was until a couple of uh, years ago when somebody said, ding food? What's ding food? Well, it's called uh, the meal that you put into the microwave. You give it three minutes and it goes ding. And that's what ding food is, apparently. I don't know why. Why do they call it a ready meal? when you have to put in the microwave for three minutes. Surely if it's ready, it's ready. It should be like a nearly ready meal. Just a point I'm making here. Um, but you know, you have to wait for the food to go around. But we've become a world that wants everything instantly, don't we? Yeah. Instant coffee, instant cameras, instant food, instant everything. Even we call a ready meal a ready meal when it ain't quite ready. Isn't it amazing what happens in our world? And so we have connected with this world, word harvest in an improper way in the Bible. And I'm going to speak to you this morning out of uh, John 4, verse 35. You're going to follow me in the Scripture uh, in a moment. And we're going to learn from Jesus, our greatest teacher that ever walked upon the face of this earth, so we can right-size the word harvest in our lives. Because I don't know about you, if you tuned into that Texas American preacher, or you've ticked, uh, tuned into a health and wealth preacher, he'll tell you that the harvest is coming. Is the harvest coming, folks? That's what he'll tell you. He'll say that all we've got to do is sit back and relax and enjoy the harvest because the harvest is coming. If we pray, if we ask, God will send us the harvest. Isn't that great news? How many of you are farmers here? Put your hands up. We've got one farmer. How many of you have been brought up on a farm? Put your hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We know as farmers that harvest is far from sit back and relax time. It's the sweatiest time on the farm. I used to love it on the farm when we would have sometimes the people that we called in the country the townies. Do you know what the townies are? The townies are the people that live in the town. And they would romanticize about what harvest time would be like at the farm here. And they would say, can we come up and help you with the hay? And we would all rub our hands with relish as farmers because we think, this is going to be fun. And we'd see all of them come up. This wasn't just like gathering sheaves and put up. This was hard work, grabbing hay bales from morning till night because you have to make hay while the sun. 
and you'd be in the middle of all the sunshine pulling it all together. Real, real hard work. Texas preacher, if you're listening to this message online now, will you help us understand through context that when Jesus teaches us about this, he knows what harvest is like and he knows that it takes effort. So let's take the concept of harvest today as a church and let's give it context that we can right-size it in our faith and the way we believe so that we can live a thriving life. Should we do that? Come on, John 4 verse 35 says this. You can follow me um, on screen. This is sermon number 706 in Spurgeon. I was looking and uh, reflecting on some things online. I've got totally different points to Spurgeon because he wasn't a farmer. But if you go online and Google uh, Charles Spurgeon 706, you will see his uh, sermon that will come up on this. I have no idea which number sermon this is for me that I'm speaking to you uh, this morning. Jesus says this in John 4, verse 35, if you follow me in the scripture. He says, do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? Can you say with me, four months? Four months. That can, four months is how long it takes wheat to grow. That's how long it takes. You can't plant it too early because it will die of frost. But four months and you can reap wheat. So Jesus says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, he harvests the crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now, if you want the true context meaning of this, because I am going to take this message slightly out of context to apply it to our lives today. The context of this, if you look at Charles Spurgeon, he gives you the two in, true interpretation of it. And he's talking about a harvest of souls here. He's talking about the fields being white, that now's the time to go reaping. Because others have come and sowed. The word of God has been sowed. The truth is here in the form of Jesus Christ. All we need to do now is to go out and reap. Tell people everywhere the great message of Jesus Christ. And people will be harvested in an effect. People will come to fruit. We will reap because of the harvest that is before us. But I want to look at the harvest that's in our lives and look at the context of this. Because Jesus is saying here in this principle, you say, there was a saying in the culture of their day. Four months until harvest, just like there are sayings in the culture of today. We have sayings, don't we? Don't we? A stitch in time. We have cultural sayings that we have around us. A bird in the hand is worth... Oh, fantastic. We have all of these sayings. And clearly, there was a saying in Jesus' time, which was, you say, four months and then the harvest. So principle one for us to learn about what does the harvest look like in our lives? First of all, the harvest that takes place in our lives involves waiting. Waiting. 
waiting. If you're taking notes, write that down. Point number one, waiting. You wouldn't think that harvest is about waiting, but I can tell you, harvest is about waiting. Some of you are still waiting right now, aren't you? I'm waiting for my brother Pete to come to faith in Christ. It is my number one desire, number top thing on my prayer list. I pray for my brother. I am waiting. One day I'm expecting a harvest. It's been long more than four months. But I continue to just wait patiently. He's in the waiting. And some of you, and some of us get so frustrated with the waiting. Well, if there was no waiting, there would be no joy for the harvest. You see, because if there's no waiting, it just becomes ding food. And how many of you know ding food is not as good as like freshly prepared food from the garden that you've taken yourself and you've put it all together and you've reared it and you've cooked it and you've put it all together? How many of you know that that kind of wholesome food is just nom, 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 nom? Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, who wants microwave food? Come on, let's face it. How many of us want to go for a ready meal this afternoon? Okay, Joe wants to go for a ready meal. Okay. That's an answer to prayer. <laughs> Fill that fridge, Andrea. He loves ready food. You just pin the purse. It's just not... What is it? I don't know. Is it the microwave or is it the food or is it the freezing process? So how many of us want ding prayers answered? Do we really want it answered? Do you want a short-term fix for some of the situations? Let me ask you, if you're praying for a husband, do you want God to send you anything right now that'll do quickly? Or do you want to wait for the best? Do you want to wait for Prince Charming? Do you? He's in the waiting. I waited patiently for the Lord. And we don't want to wait anymore. Because we're so used to instant coffee, instant cameras, instant everything. Remember the time that used to happen uh, when we, Ruth and I remember we used to go on holidays. Remember years and years ago and we'd come home and Ruth would uh, send all of our films, 35mm, 24 and 36 exposure little rolls. This is all foreign to you children here. We would get all these films. It was colour, just about. It wasn't sepia or black and white, but we'd get all these films and Ruth would come back. And all of you know that Ruth loves taking photographs, doesn't she? The digital age has helped propel my wife's desire and love for photographs into a whole new realm. But we would have, and I would come, I'd say to Ruth, Ruth, how many films are we up to now? And she says, I've taken four. Why? I'm thinking four times 36. I'm thinking, what's the bonus print bill going to be now when we have to send them away? Remember bonus print? You shove them in an envelope and send it. Do any of you kids know what we're on about? No, no. And we sent them away. You see, because it was in the waiting. And we would love to come home. Ruth couldn't wait. We would love to come home. And we would have the pictures and we would open them up. And I'd say, did you take that of me, Ruth? And then, oh, that's a nice one. And then you'd have some that are good, some that are bad. Because you couldn't just check them right now and say, oh, I'll take that again. Put a different filter on. None of that. It was in the waiting. And we would come home and we would look through these pictures and we would all relive those moments. And there was a nice thing that used to happen. Call me old-fashioned, but I like this. Where we used to sit in the living room, we used to pass the pictures around. And it was all good as long as you were in the front. If Brenda was next to you, she'd take too long with the picture. Come, give me the picture. And Brenda would, oh, look, look, that's a lovely one of Ruth. That's a, oh, that's Phil. That's a, oh, that's another one of Ruth. Oh, that's it. Oh, look at Carrie. Oh, that's Phil. Yeah. You know, it's in the waiting. 
And we've gone to be very, very impatient people. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me his ear. Four months. And then comes the harvest. So can I ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You're waiting for healing. Are you waiting for that financial breakthrough? Are you waiting for Prince Charming girls? Girls, are you waiting for that gorgeous girl? She's there. Guys. 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 <laughs> what did I just say? Okay, let me rewind. Yeah, you know what I meant. But guys, are you waiting for that gorgeous girl? I waited patiently. Look who I married in the end, eh? Am I punching above my weight, guys? Yeah, she's still waiting for Prince Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's in the waiting. And let's learn to be patient and let's learn to understand that there's a process that takes place, you know, because the process that takes place a lot of the time is God is changing us. God is chase, chase, changing us that He might build our character so that we might become more Christ-like. And He puts us under a pressure cooker of life sometimes so that we can become more Christ-like. Paul teaches us, he says, because suffering builds perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And there's a principle that happens in the waiting so that we can really appreciate it when God rolls in with His plan. Because God just wants us every single day to trust Him. Trust Him. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your friends. Put your trust in Him. And I tell you, He's in the waiting. But I tell you what, there's not just waiting that's a part of harvest, where we're waiting for the crops to grow and waiting for things to come to flourish so that we can reap. Reaping takes, not waiting, reaping takes working. If you're writing this down, write that second point down. Working. Because the crop doesn't pick itself. And so often in life, the things that we get, we have to work on. Guys, you see her finally. You've been praying for ages. She ends up showing up at your church, the girl of your dreams. You've got to work it, boys. She ain't going to come to you and fall at your feet and say, where have you been all my life, you Prince Charming Joe Parry? Where have you been? <laughs> what are you going to have to say, Prince Parry? Is you're going to have to go up with her, to her and you're going to have to get to know her? Ask her out. Please don't send your mates to ask her out. Ask her out yourself. But you're going to have to have courage. You're going to have to work for that girl, mate. And girls, you can do the other way. You can ask, guys. It involves working. That job that you see in the newspaper, it's the dream job. You prayed for a career change, and someone at church knows that you're looking for a career change. And so they cut out the newspaper clipping, and they say, this job's got your name written all over it, and they give it to you. You've got to work for it. They are not going to phone you up, that employer, and say, I've had a revelation from heaven. 
you are the ideal candidate for this job. Please, when can you start? I beg you. We want to pay you twice as much as we're paying everybody else because God has revealed to us that we must employ you. If that happens, let me know. <laughs> but it's not going to happen that way. You have to do some work. Fill in a CV. Prepare yourself. Get some interview training. I'll tell you what I've got to say. This girl here, Liana, worked hard. The harvest that you have now with the job that you love has come from you being prepared to work and wait. Work and wait. Work and wait. And isn't God good to you? Isn't God good to you? That's how it works. He's in the waiting, but he's also in our working. So when the sun shines, we need to work because the crop is not going to pick itself. So there's this principle that Jesus is saying here and communicating them. The fields are white to harvest, the laborers are few. And at this point, I just, you know, I was looking for an illustration and even I wanted to kind of dedicate this part of this message on working to a person that modeled this for me in a way that I'll never really understand, but God was in it. I'm dedicating this, this point here on working to my friend, my mentor, and my pastor, Pastor Ivan Watkins. And the reason I say that is he knew the fields were white to harvest, he knew the laborers were, to few, were but a few, and you are fruit of his sowing. There are some of you here that didn't even meet him, didn't even know him, and yet you're here today enjoying the fruits of this place and the teaching and everything that this place does because a man knew that there was work involved. And at, listen to this. At 61 years of age, not 21, not 41, at 61 when most people in our culture today are busy just retiring, living off the fat in coffee shops, he decided that he was going to work. He was going to work for God. And he was going to get up and he was going to reap a harvest. And we're all here today because of that man's faithfulness. Because he realized, yes, there was waiting, but he realized there was working. The waiting and the working. But the last bit, the last bit which is really, really important. At Messy Church a couple of weeks back, uh, the, the, this week we're uh, um, studying the story of Zacchaeus. That's very funny, isn't it? They've asked me, shortest man in church, to share the story of Zacchaeus. And if only um, some of you know the irony of it, that story, mam's at the back of church this morning um, at about five, six years of age. I give my life to Christ in a little church in Kumdi, all the way up there. I gave my heart to Jesus because <laughs> through that story, Jesus loved little people. <laughs> Have you noticed there's no tall people that... No, there isn't. In fact, tall people end up dead. Tallest person I know is Goliath. He ends up dead. <laughs> God loves short people. I'm just saying. <laughs> but the story that we were in uh, talking in Messy Church a couple of weeks back was about the ten lepers and the one that leaves to say thank you. 
And if there's one tradition I love that we have in this country that is still taught about in school, needs more context, I would say, around that concept so that people can understand it, because there's the principle of waiting. There's the principle of working. But the third principle, which is so important, let us be like the one leper that came back, the principle of thanking. Mike encouraged us at the beginning of church that we've come to say thank you today. Are you thankful today? People have prayed this morning as we're together, praying, thanking God for His favor. Have we really developed an attitude of gratitude in our lives? Have we really done that? To realize that there are people today that are far worse off than we are. That there are people that don't have the health care that we have here. That there are people that don't have the, the food. And just to have clean water, clean water that we can drink and wash without fear of malaria or anything else, we are so, so privileged in this country. Have we developed an attitude of gratitude? Or are we like the nine lepers that quite often, where we've done the waiting, and God comes in and we've been patient and we've been patient and we've found our chosen bride. James and uh, Aileen are taking um, the children for church this morning, so I can't uh, use them as an illustration because they're not in the room here today. But James, I think, is pretty made up that he's found Aileen. <laughs> Have you noticed? He's head over heels in love. He won't admit it to you, but he's done it so me. He was all so gushing and everything else. Like, I'll tell you the rest of it after. I'll embarrass you the way. No, I'm just kidding. But he's fallen in love with Aileen, and it's a lovely thing, isn't it? It's a lovely thing, isn't it, guys? Come on. Don't be so hard. Come on. I see, I see Gareth reaching over there to hold Mary's hand. <laughs> it's good to express love, isn't it? Yeah. And to appreciate husbands, love your wives, appreciate them. Wives, appreciate your husbands. You're a gift to each other. Are we thankful? Are we that thankful? I thank God for my wife every day that she puts up with me. I'll never know. But I am so, so blessed. And to develop an attitude of gratitude for our harvest. So when we get that job, when we get that healing, I tell you what. You know that Lionel Richie song, Dancing on the Ceiling? When my brother comes to faith in Christ, my oldest brother, when he comes, I'm telling you, you're going to have to peel me off the ceiling because there's going to be not just joy in heaven over that one sinner who repents, but there's going to be joy in my heart. Do you, are you ready to give that level of thanksgiving? The worship team are going to come, and we're going to sing a great song to uh, close shortly. But I want to ask you, at what phase are you in right now in your harvest? What phase are you in for specific things in your life right now? Are you in the waiting? Because I want to tell you, when you're in the waiting, all we need to do is to incline our ear to Him. Just be patient. And it's so, so hard, isn't it, to be patient? But can we do that? And can we just say, Lord, I'm laying this at your feet. I know that you are working. Emily preached a banging message last week. She really did. Superb message last week that Emily prayed. And the point that I loved that you made in that um, message, Emily, was the fact that six times for six days they went round the walls of Jericho and there was nothing physically happening, wasn't there? Was there? 
because it's in the waiting. You see, our faithfulness in being obedient to God's Word is what was required. And then Emily taught us that on the last day, they, you know, they had to go around. They had to do big shift on the last day, didn't they? And go all the way around. But then listen to this. It went from waiting that it went to working. The walls didn't just fall down by themselves. It required heavy lifting on the day of harvest on the last day. They had to go around how many times on the last day? Seven times. You know, day one through six, that's easy. We just do one lap. That's okay. And we're there, you know. Anything happened? No. Wall still up? No. Day two. You know, you see where this is going? And then we could think that there's nothing happening. But he's in the waiting. God's working right now. If you will just be patient, it's coming. And we go all the way around. But this is the working and the amount of effort that was required. They had to go take around that so many laps on the last day. And then they had to really exert. They had to get a trumpet out. And they had to open their lungs. And they had to give thanksgiving to the Lord. And as they let out a shout, so the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Well, I tell you what. There would have been a party when the walls of Jericho came down, wouldn't they? Because that transition, the waiting, the working... And the thanking. Where do you need to be this morning? Where do you need to be? Do you need to just, Lord, teach me patience. Lord, I've, I, I know you've got a plan. I know I'm going to get that job. I know she's there. I know whatever. Lord, will you just help me to be patient? And then when the opportunity comes, Lord, and I need to work and I need to roll my sleeves up myself. And I need to harvest because the sun is shining and the fruit is there. Lord, help me get up and pick it. Help me see it when it's there. Help me reap it. And Lord, when you bring those things into my life, I will have my very own harvest thanksgiving day. And I will turn to you and I say, Lord, you were faithful in the waiting. You were faithful in the working. Lord, I'm going to be so thankful to you in thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for the way you've worked in my life personally. I thank you for the way you worked in Ivion's life. I thank you the way you've worked in the life of this church. That we've understood the waiting and the working. But oh God, this place will be one place that shouts louder for anything else than the working and the waiting. Lord, we will be a house that is full of thanksgiving to you. You are a great God. Lord, our words aren't enough to describe you. Our hearts aren't large enough to be able to describe how we feel towards you. Lord, you deserve the praise, the glory, and the honor.
triumph unfolds He's never failing He's never This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.